Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. You are a rowdy group tonight. I don't know what's going on, but uh, I like it. I like it. That is really awesome. I just have to say this. I was a little put out, though, that Dre got the two boxes and gave them to me. I, I'm just saying... I'm just saying, dude, get your own stuff. I'm not getting your stuff for you. I make your coffee. I clean your office, you know, but I'm not getting your food pack. All right, so uh, he thinks he owns the place. Anyway, uh, what else? This is a very special weekend for me. I, I, um, I, I wasn't going to say this because I was thinking, I didn't really realize it ties down there, but you know, it was uh, 13 years ago that I first came uh, under the radar, snuck into a service on the July 4th weekend uh, to see Rocky Peak. Um, and, uh, and so um, we left thinking, yeah, I don't think that's it, you know? I, I don't think that's it. And uh, six months later, the Lord said, yes, it is. It's six, it is. And uh, what a... Uh, hey, listen and follow, right? Listen and follow. And what a ride it's been. And so it's always a special weekend for me, but it's also obviously a special weekend for our nation. And so we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. Encourage you to take that out. But also, I want to pray for our nation, right? Because Lord knows we need it, right? Like we are like, uh, you got to have faith for this baby. So let's go. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this incredible nation you've given us. God, I think that every one of us is probably deeply, deeply grateful for the privilege of really growing up here, a place where there is freedom, a freedom to think, a freedom to speak, a freedom to worship as we want, God. And we thank you for that incredible heritage. But as we look at our nation, Lord, we know that it is a time of um, deep evil, really, uh, we're a nation far from you, God, and there's no way we can pray to bless our nation apart from a deep repentance that comes on our nation. And so, God, we pray that you raise up your church, and we pray that you raise up godly leaders, and we pray that you send a spirit of repentance, or I think of Acts where it says that you gave the gift of repentance to the Gentiles. God, would you give a gift of repentance to our nation? Would you move us to do your will? God, we know that unless there is a deep repentance. We are on a track that is not going to get better. And so, God, we know the solution is spiritual. The solution is not political. At its core, it is spiritual. The political state of our nation is a reflection of the spiritual heart of our nation. Now, we get the leaders we deserve. They're a reflection of us, good or bad, whichever party. And, God, we just want to come before you and say that as in the time of Isaiah, we recognize this, that our nation is beat up. Why are you bruised? Why will you continue to be beaten? As you said in Isaiah, you need to turn. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. God, we pray for a mighty spirit of repentance for our nation. We pray it would begin with us. We pray you'd give us uh, Christians who love you, who fear no one but you, and who are willing to speak the truth in love and be willing to suffer whatever consequences for the sake of your name and your fame. And under that, we pray that you would be able to bless our nation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And uh, I've got to warn you, I walked off without my Bible tonight. Um, I know, I know. So uh, I was right there, used it, and so I'll be going off my phone tonight. I know it irritates some of you, <laughs> so I'm just telling you, it's not by choice, it's not by design, it's by default, all right? So, uh, let's start. Our story starts at three in the morning, and he loves this time of day. It's cold outside, it's, uh, it's dark, and that's not the part he loves, but... But he loves it. It's a part of his life. And he gets up this morning and his wife and his kids are still in bed. And so he carefully sneaks outside the house trying not to wake them. And he begins his walk down to the seashore. And the reason he loves this time of day, not because of the cold or the dark, but just because of the peacefulness. 
He's looking forward to meeting his friends. And so as he heads down, his mind begins to reflect on what's happened the last few months, the changes that have happened in his life. And he can't help but wonder, where is it all going to lead? It's obviously leading somewhere. As he walks through the dark city streets and out towards the shore, little does he know that within a few hours, his life is going to change forever. Well, today, we are continuing this series we've been the last couple months. Um, by the way, I don't know if I said this, my name's Michael, and um, I am one of the pastors here. And so if you're new, we're welcome. Um, but uh, we've been in this series uh, for the last couple months called Unfiltered, Capturing a True Image of Jesus. So it's a series about Jesus, as you might guess from the title. Um, and, and what we've talked about in this series is that uh, we all do this. We all have a natural tendency to kind of recreate Jesus in our own image based on how we were raised, how we've been brought up, uh, things that we've read, stories that we were told when we were kids or whatever, often even the, the political leanings of our culture, uh, the direction. Um, and so our goal in this series is really to go back in time to one of the earliest and most important documents, the first one of the first biographies of the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Matthew to see if we can kind of strip off some layers, um, take off some filters, and recapture um, some new images of Jesus and, and what it, who he is, who he was, what it means to follow him. So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've watched as Jesus is now 30 years old. He, uh, he's grown up in a small town in the north of the country called Nazareth, and so he's made this journey down, um, you know, 50 miles or so to the south of the country, to the Jordan River, maybe 18 miles from Jerusalem, uh, where this prophet has arisen, uh, John the Baptist, and Jesus, along with the rest of the nation, has been baptized, and he's gone out into the wilderness for about a month and a half to prepare to launch his ministry. And the last couple of weeks, we've watched as he's come north now again. He's gone back to Nazareth, where he came from, and then he moves 28 miles away to the Sea of Galilee and to a city there named Capernaum, which is on a major international trade route called the Via Maris. And so last week we watched as he begins to, to announce his message, same message as John the Baptist, that the long-promised kingdom of the heavens, it's near. It's, it's about to break in. And so we need to get ready for it to come. We need to repent. Uh, we need to turn from our old ways. We need to get ready because God's on the move. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. If you were to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the Synoptic Gospels, they all tell the story that way. Baptism, temptation, Nazareth, and Galilee in the start of his movement. But if you were to read the Gospel of John, you find out that in between his time in the wilderness and his return north was actually an interim of at least probably several months, maybe up to a year. We call it the silent year. And so um, today, Jesus is going to recruit uh, not just his first followers, but his first people to go on mission with him, his first teammates, we might say. Um, but before we jump into that passage in Matthew chapter 4, I want to go back to John and get the backstory on these men that we're going to meet today. All right. So if you have your Bibles, which I don't, um, but you have your phone, you can turn to John chapter 1 and verse 35, and there on your note sheet is a section called... Um, <clears throat> Uh, the first followers, their backstory. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start with John, and then we're going to jump to Matthew and uh, pick up the story where Matthew picks it up. So in verse 35. So the next day, so let's set this up. So in John's gospel, uh, John the Baptist has come. He's, uh, he's announcing the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, people are coming and asking him, who are you? Why have you come? And he's made it very clear that this is not about him that it's about the one that will come after him. That his job is to prepare the nation for the one who's about to come. And so Jesus comes, he baptizes him. Remember, it's at his baptism when the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus that he recognizes who Jesus is. Jesus leaves then and goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And so now he's coming back. And so he's going to be spending time down with John uh, for a fair amount of time. Uh, and on one of these days, um, he's going to be walking through this area, and John recognizes him, and he says, that's the guy. That's the guy I've been talking about who is coming after me. So let's pick it up there, verse 35. So the next day, John, that's the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. Now, we're going to meet these men in a couple minutes, but one of these men, both of these men 
are eventually going to become not just disciples of Jesus, but two of the 12 leaders of the movement. One of these men, his name is Andrew. He has a very famous brother named Peter, right? That's going to, we're, going to, we're going to meet in a couple minutes. So one is Andrew. The other disciple is unnamed, um, but uh, we believe he is the apostle John because throughout John's the author of this gospel. Throughout, the, he keeps talking about himself kind of in third person. It's like he's like a humble thing. And so um, we believe it's John, right? So we got Andrew and John, and I want you to notice uh, how they're described. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his what? Disciples. It's very important as we come later. These are men who have traveled a long way from the north down to hear John. They've bought into John. They've become disciples of John. They've stayed with John. They've learned about John's teaching. I'm sure they've been baptized. They've kind of gone through a repentance thing. They're disciples of John. That becomes important later on. And so John's there with these two disciples, and when he sees Jesus going by, he says, look, hey, there's the Lamb of God, right? That's going to take away the sin of the world. And uh, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So he says, there's the guy that I've been talking about. And so they go to find Jesus, and it's kind of funny, because when they get there, Jesus uh, can tell he's being followed. You know, you know, you can tell this, right, when people are following you. And it's like, yeah, creeper. Uh, anyway... Um, he turns around, he sees them following, he says, hey, what do you want? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, they said, I, I can just picture this, what they want to say is, what do we want? Are you kidding me? We've been waiting for you a thousand years. We have come down here, we've left our fishing, we've hung out with John, he said one was coming, we've been waiting for you, he just said, you're the guy, we want to hang out, would that be okay? (laughs) But that's not what you say, right, it's kind of awkward. So you don't want to say all that the first time you meet someone. So they just said, "Uh, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? Like Motel 6, uh, Ramada Inn, uh, Holiday Inn, and I love this. Jesus says, come, and you'll see. Can I just say a quick sidebar here? You know, a lot of you here at Rocky Peak are new to Jesus, or you're just coming, you're just checking out Jesus. One of the things we're going to see as we go through the life of Jesus is that Jesus never once turned any honest seeker away. It doesn't matter where you're coming from or what your story or what your background. It doesn't matter you're full of doubts or you're full of confidence. It doesn't matter your highbrow or lowbrow, which side of the tracks, what your race is. We will never see Jesus turn anyone, an honest seeker, away. In fact, later on in John, he will say this, that no one the Father sends to me will I ever turn away. And that's good news. And, uh, and I, I tell you that because you may be here, and you be, may be kind of new at this, and you may be one of those people that feel like, I'm afraid to go to church because the place is going to burn down. God's going to strike it with lightning. <laughs> and I, I know you because I meet you at my house, you know. And, uh, uh, and I just want to say, this is how Jesus always responds to any honest seeker. Hey, we're kind of afraid to ask, but where are you staying? Hey, come and see. Beautiful. And uh, so they went, and they saw where he was staying. And wouldn't you love to be there that day? These first two hung out for the first few hours with Jesus. And they spent that day with them, and it was about four in the afternoon. Uh, So they they hang out and uh, probably share a meal. And uh, notice right away that Andrew, is Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two. And... uh, who heard what John had said, he'd followed Jesus. And the first thing he did, catch that, first thing he did is, I got to tell my brother Peter. Now, it's interesting because we don't know for sure, but it's very likely that Peter was a disciple of John the Baptist. Um, he obviously was close at hand. What are you doing hanging out? You know, we, we don't know for sure where John was. We think probably in the south of the country, Galilee's in the north. So, you know, it's like you don't just run home and get Peter 50 miles away. You know, and so he's probably in the area. He's probably a follower of John too. But anyway, he finds him, and he says, hey, we have found the Messiah. Now, remember, Messiah, 
comes from Hebrew, Mashiach. It uh, means the anointed one, which uh, Messiah means, you know, the king, the one who's going to be anointed as the son of David, the king. Um, and, of course, in Greek, you translate that into Christos, as means the anointed one in Greek. So he just does some translation. We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and uh, he brought him to Jesus. And, and I love this. We'll talk about it more later. But Jesus looks at him and says, I know you. And uh, like I said, we'll come back to this. This is a fascinating encounter. You're Simon. Um, your dad's name is John. And you're going to be called Cephas, which is Aramaic, which in Greek means Petros, Peter. Um, he said, I, I know your name. I know, your, I know what you're currently called, but I know your true name. And um, your name is Rock. You're someone I can build on. And so, uh, this is the next day, Jesus decides to go home to Galilee. Now, this very likely, we don't know for sure, we're trying to put together the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke with John, but it's very likely that it's this, at this point that these two come together. Remember, after his baptism in wilderness, he goes north to Nazareth, right? Now he's going north back to Galilee, and so we, we think it's very likely that th- this is describing the same trip. What's interesting is it says... Uh, that uh, he decided to leave, and he finds Philip, and he says, follow me. And so what's going to happen in these next three chapters? So in the end of chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, we're going to watch as, as Jesus says to these new, you know, two, two new disciples, why don't you travel with me? Why don't you follow me? Um, and so along with Peter, apparently they're going to leave John the Baptist. They've been following John, and they're going to start following Jesus. It's a critical decision in their life. Um, and then the next day, uh, Jesus is going to find a man named Philip and ask him to follow him. Philip's going to do exactly what Andrew did. He's going to go and find his best friend, Nathaniel, and say, you got to see Jesus. That'll become important for later on. And what we're going to see, if we were to continue on in this narrative, several things are going to happen in the next few chapters. Now, the Gospels are not always written in chronological order, so we don't know for sure this was happening before Jesus went north, but I think very likely it is, at least some of it. So what's going to happen? He's going to call these two more disciples. Um, the, uh, in chapter 2, he's going to perform his first wedding as they go in north in Cana, uh, first miracle, the, the miracle of that. Um, as they go north, they're going to go through Samaria, and the woman at the well situation's going to happen. The living water thing's going to happen. In John chapter 3, he has this conversation with Nicodemus in Jerusalem about being born again. Uh, and into chapter 4, he heals an official son when he goes back into uh, Galilee. So, so it would appear that as Jesus goes north, they begin traveling with him. They begin to have all these experiences with Jesus before they get north. Are you with me? Uh, so now we're ready to go into Matthew 4 with the backstory of what they'd experienced when Matthew 4 happens. Are, are you following all this? We're going to put together the storyline. So let's go to, to Matthew 4. So if you have your phone, click on Matthew, and then click on 4, um, and click about 14, and somewhere in there, 18 is where we're going. So, so last week we left Jesus, right? Jesus had left, he, he'd, he'd gone wilderness, gone Nazareth, transferred to Capernaum, um, where he launches his ministry uh, on this international crossroads. And in verse 17, this is where we left him last week. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, turn around, change your mind for the kingdom of the heavens, the long-promised kingdom of God that we talked about last week. It's near. So that's where we left him. So uh, now today we're moving on. So the Sea of Galilee is a sea that is about 13 miles, what time of Jesus? It's about 13 miles long. It's really a lake. It's a a, uh, freshwater lake. 13 miles long, and the biggest part in the middle, 8 miles wide. It's not really that big. Uh, It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful um, then and now. And uh, and so it's it's known for its commercial fishing. Um, Fish was a big, was a staple in the Roman world. They'd salt it and ship it out. And so we're going to meet uh, first four of his first teammates that Jesus recruits, and they're all commercial fishermen. So this takes us to the story we started the day with. This man who wakes up three in the morning, tries not to wake up his family, he's going out. That's the story of the Peter. On the Sea of Galilee, this is the way fishing works. You don't fish during the day, you fish at night. 
You're going to get up and you're going to go out at 3 or 4 in the morning. And the reason is, is because at night the fish can't see your nets. You're not fishing with lines, you're fishing with nets. They can't see as well. But also during the day or during the night when the temperatures drop, the warm water from the sea goes to the surface and the fish like being in the warm water. So you fish at night. Most of your fishing is going to be done at night, early morning hours, and you're going to be done for the day. Probably 10 o'clock, you're going to be done. And so, um, so, so on this particular day, Peter is getting up and he's going out to meet with his buddies. Now here's what we're going to find out. Three of these men we've already met. We've already met Andrew. We've met Peter, and we've met John. We're going to meet a fourth man named James. James is a brother of John. So two sets of brothers. Very interesting. One of the things we're going to talk about today is webs of relationships. And it's fascinating to me when you look at the 12 disciples of Jesus, how almost without exception, Judas would probably be the one exception. They all grew up within a few miles of each other. You've got two sets of brothers that grew up in the same home. You've got Philip getting his friend, good friend Nathaniel. These men know each other. Uh, God's been preparing them for their whole life. It's kind of crazy. And uh, so anyway, um, they're commercial fishermen. We find out from Luke's gospel they were actually business partners. Right? These four men were business partners. So they're very connected. And so as, they, as Peter gets up three or four in the morning, he's walking down there. And I want you to think what he's experienced. Now, we don't know how long a time it's been since the baptism and wilderness of Jesus until this scene. We know that's probably weeks, it's probably months, it may be up to a year. And we know that by the time this scene has happened, they've met Jesus in the south, they have traveled with him to the north, they have seen several miracles, they have gone through the Samaritan woman experience. They possibly were there from the Nicodemus. Are you with me? They've had a lot of experience with Jesus. But on this particular day, they're going to go through a major crossroads in their life. As Peter walks to the shore on this day, for him, it's just another day. Though I wouldn't be surprised, he's got a lot to reflect on what's been going on the last few weeks and months. He has got to be wondering, where is this thing going? The message is the kingdom of the heavens is near. He has been traveling with Jesus. He's bought into John the Baptist. Something is coming. Something's happening. He has got to be reflecting on that. But what's going to happen at this day? Is it 6 in the morning? Is it 8 in the morning? Is it 9 in the morning? We know it's not noon. And sometime that morning... Something's going to happen that's going to change his life forever. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 4 and verse 18. So as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, this would be in the morning, he sees two brothers, and we've met these men, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. So the way they'd fish, there's multiple ways, but the way they'd fish, these were big round nets. You could handle them as a single person. They had weights on the perimeter of the net and then a rope going to it. So what you do is you'd, you'd wade out, you know, to here, and you'd cast this net out with the weights as far as you could, and then when that hits the water, the, the, uh, the net would separate out, like a, you know, like a lasso, and it would go down, and then it would, because of the weights, it would capture fish underneath, and you could kind of scoop it up and pull it in. So, so that's, what, that's what he's doing, and as, he is, as they're, they're doing that, this is their fishermen, uh, Jesus comes up, and he says, verse 19, come, and follow me. So this is a formal request for them to become his disciples. Now, one thing you may not know is very likely this was a high honor. In Israel, there's two things we know at this time about rabbis and disciples. Number one, to be a disciple of a rabbi was an extremely high honor. It was something only for the brightest and best. And number two, the rabbi didn't recruit you. You applied. So this would be like applying to Yale or Harvard. You hope you get in. In this situation, very interesting, Jesus goes against everything they know, and he recruits them, even though likely they weren't the brightest and best. If they were, they would have been followers of a different rabbi. And so this was a high honor, but at the same time, it requires a lot. 
And what I want you to catch, they knew Jesus, they liked Jesus, they may have bought into Jesus. We saw earlier, Andrew already said, early on, it's Messiah. But he's not asking him just to believe in him, he's asking to join his team. He is launching a movement, and he is asking them to become part of his sales force. And look what he, and so look what he says, come and follow me, and I will send you out. And of course, this is part of Jesus' brilliance. He always speaks the language of whoever he's talking to. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. You guys are pretty good at what you do. You've mastered this art of fishing. But I've got something bigger for you. And if you follow me, I'm going to teach you how to hunt for bigger game. You fish for fish, I want to teach you how to fish for people. We've got a kingdom to unleash. Will you join me? And notice, they leave their nets right there. They respond. It's a critical crossroads, and they respond. So going on from there, now he's got the three of them walking, and uh, they see two other brothers. We met one of these, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. We met John. And they're in their net with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, or in the Greek, very likely mending their nets. It's very likely they've been out fishing. Uh, the, the day is kind of done. It's early. You know, they're, they're done fishing from the boat, so they need to mend their nets. And uh, Jesus calls them and in the same way, probably called them the same thing, and immediately they leave their boat and their father and, and their father. And in that culture, one of your highest priorities in life is to take care of your parents. Do you remember later on, Jesus, someone said, I will follow you, but let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. And Jesus said, you're going to follow me. You've got to love me more than father or mother. Husband, wife, son, or daughter. So, and so it's a big ask. And they are responding, and they leave him. So now, so now Matthew is going to give us kind of a big picture story, you know, a big picture view of what's going to happen in the coming months. And so he went throughout the Galilee. We'll be talking about this next week. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This long-promised kingdom of God, when all wrongs be turned to right, it's, it's near. That's great news. And, uh, and he's not only making the claim, he is uh, authenticating the claim by healing every disease and sickness. We'll talk about this next week, but in other words, the prophets have said when the kingdom comes, healing comes. And so this was not just random acts of kindness, this was the first signs of spring. And we'll come back to that next week. But what I want to do today is I want to focus on the journey, the spiritual journey of these first four men who become not just followers, but uh, teammates of Jesus, and to see if we can learn some things from their journey about our journey, what it means to follow Jesus, how, how we grow in our relationship with Jesus, what it means to be part of his kingdom. And so uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called First Followers, uh, First Principles. And uh, I want to give you just two principles today uh, about our relationship with Jesus that flow out of this, um, but then ask two penetrating questions. And I, I want to say this, today is going to be a deeply personal message, uh, not so much personal for my life, but personal for your life, that um, I believe Jesus is going to be walking through the room today. And he is going to be calling some people to leave their nets. And so even the way that I've framed these questions is with that in mind. And so I've got two principles, but for each principle, I've got a question. All right? So there in your note sheet, with first followers, first principles, and the, this is the first one. It goes like this, that your relationship with Jesus, notice the language, your relationship. Can, can we just say this as we get started here, that, you know, one day... Every one of us in this room, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is going to go one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. And when you go one-on-one, -on -one, I won't be there. Your sons or daughters won't be there. Your husband or wife won't be there. Not in the sense of speaking up for you. It's just you and Jesus. 
And ultimately, our relationship is a one-on-one relationship. So this is a deeply personal relationship, and today I'm going to be asking it in a very deeply personal way. I could have said our relationship with Jesus is a journey, and that's equally true, but I'm focusing today on your relationship. Because no one can take your relationship for you. No one can take the journey for you. Only you can take your relationship with Jesus. Now, when I say your relationship is a journey, I love this metaphor because like any journey, we all go th- on a, when you're on a journey, you go through important crossroads, important decision points. You're taking a, you know, like I just got back from a long, you know, road trip that you'll hear about in the future, not today, but uh, <laughs> I've got to wait till a more disastrous message. Um, but, uh, but I, I, you know, rode my motorcycle to, you know, through Oregon and Washington and Idaho and Montana and back. Um, and on any journey like that, you've got critical crossroads. You've, you come to places where you have to decide, am I going to go forward or go right or go left? And your decision is going to determine whether you reach your destination, uh, or whether you're going to have to make a U-turn at some point and make a long trip back. I know you want to hear more, but I'm not telling you. Uh, let's just say, people have said, oh, are you back from your vacation? Was it refreshing? It's like, it was a disaster. All right. So, um, so, so I like this because... Um, This is what we see in the relationship with these four men and Jesus. Their relationship really was a journey, and there were several critical crossroads where they had to make decisions. And had they made the wrong decision, their relationship with Jesus likely would be over or greatly delayed. So, for example, I want you to think with me about these two men that we first met today, Andrew, and let's assume it's John for the sake of this, right? Listen, Andrew and John. So what do we know about Andrew and John? Well, we know that they're Jews. And as Jews, as we've talked about last week, it means they're waiting for the kingdom of the heavens. Now, we don't know what they thought about the kingdom, whether the kingdom would come through violence like we talked last week, or the kingdom was going to go through the desert like last week. Or We don't know what they thought about the kingdom. And I'm sure in Israel, some people were big believers in the kingdom and really waiting, and other people were, as we'll see in the gospel, not that interested. Like, maybe it'll never come or whatever. So, you know, we don't know where they were on that spectrum, what they believed. But here's one thing we know about these two men. These two men were serious about the kingdom, and they were serious about their relationship with God. And you say, how do you know that? It's like, well, if we make the assumption John's in the south and they're in the north and they're fishermen, they've traveled 50, 60, 70 miles and left their job to hear a prophet that they know very little about. But the rumor has it, you know, Adele, rumor has it that, uh, sorry, uh, rumor has it that, uh, that there's a prophet who's legit out in the wilderness across from Jericho, and they're going to make this long journey to go out and check out the rumor. Now, that tells me something about them. These men are hungry for God. And when they get there, they have to go through. So that's critical crossroad number one. There's a prophet. We don't know for sure. But word on the street is he's speaking for God. Do you want to go? Yes, I do. Critical crossroad number one. Now they go and they listen to John. And they have to decide, do we believe him or not? And do we respond or not? And obviously they did because they became disciples of John. Now, catch this, at this point, point, they don't know about Jesus. They're not followers of Jesus. They're just pursuing God. Can I tell you something? Some of you here today, we'll talk about this more later. Some of you here today, you're you're not sure about Jesus. There's just something missing in your life. And for whatever reason, you found yourself here, you're seeking God. And that's where they, they are. They're seeking God. And so they hear John Uh, they become convinced he is a prophet, he's speaking the word, 
And so they get baptized. I think we can assume that because they're disciples of John. They get baptized and they become disciples and they don't go home. They're hanging out here. If the kingdom is near, we don't want to miss it. And so that's crossroad number two. We're following John. We're getting baptized. We're getting ready. It's a crossroad. If they didn't take that crossroad, none of the rest would happen. And then comes that critical day when Jesus walks by and John says, there he is, the guy I've been talking about, the Lamb of God. And they have to make a decision. Should we go talk to him? I don't want to talk to him. You want to talk to him? Yeah, let's go. They have to make, and that's critical crossroad number three. They go after it. They take the risk. Where are you staying? Maybe it's a little awkward. Maybe we feel a little formal. Maybe we feel like we're being a little forward. They might think we're inappropriate, but we are desperate. Right? Have you ever had experiences like that? I remember one time, I always had a leadership conference, and John Maxwell was speaking back way in the day, so a long time ago, and it was at a church, and it was coming towards the end of the, it was coming towards the end of this two-day seminar conference, and I was sitting back in the back, and I had brought my team. From the previous church, I was the leader of this team, and I brought my team. This was probably 15, 20 years ago. And towards the end of this conference, I just had this overwhelming sense that I needed John to pray for me for my leadership. I needed his blessing. I, needed, I, I, don't, I couldn't explain that. And as he's working up towards the end of this message, I thought, he's going to ask He's going to have opportunity. If you want to grow in your leadership, if you want, if you want God to bless your leader, he's going to ask. And I could just feel, and I could hardly stay in my chair. And finally he said, if you want, and I was down the aisle. My team's looking at me. I'm their leader. And I am almost running up there. I came up the steps and put my head on top of the step. I wanted to be the first guy to get his hand on my head. I just sensed God was doing something. You're hungry. And they were hungry that day. And it may have been awkward, and they may have not know what to say, but like, hey, uh, where are you staying? <laughs> that was critical decision number three. And because of that, they met Jesus, and they had dinner with Jesus and their relationship with Jesus began to grow. And their life was never the same. But you know, the next day, they had another decision because Jesus said, why don't you travel north with me? Now you got to decide, do you leave the sure thing, John, that we're familiar with, or do, or do we go with the new guy? And they went with Jesus. And because they made that critical decision, number four, they're going to watch water get turned into wine. And they're going to overhear a conversation with a religious leader about being born again and they're going to watch a royal official son be healed. And they're going to unbelievably watch him talk to a Samaritan woman. What is he thinking? They're going to have some amazing experiences. But their, big, their biggest decision comes today in Matthew 4. When they're in their nets, they've known him now maybe for weeks, months. We're not sure how long. But Jesus comes by. says, boys, it's time. You know, a lot of scholars believe that these boys were, these guys were teenagers. Boys, it's time. You know, follow me. It was a crossroads. And they made the right decision. They immediately dropped their nets. And here's what I want you to catch. This was not the last crossroads. There's going to come many others. But the reason we're reading their story today is because they kept making the right decisions. And here's what I want you to catch. There is nothing automatic about following Jesus. Our journey never ends. And we come to crossroads in our life, and it's what we decide at the next one that determines our destiny. 
It's not the last one, it's the next one. I want to challenge you in this. This is one of those major lenses that we need to take off. He's talking about unfiltered. The lenses come up. This is a major. In American Christianity, we have got the impression, we have often taught that if you make one decision for Jesus, that's all you need for the rest of your life. You go forward in a meeting when you're 12 years old. You got baptized when you were 16. You went forward at a Harvest Crusade. You raised your hand. You came forward at just as I am. And now you're good. You're good to go. You may follow Jesus. You may not follow Jesus. You may repent. You may not repent. But you're good to go because you had a moment with Jesus and you made a one right decision. Can I tell you something? You will not find that in the gospel. Can I tell you something? You will not find that in the New Testament. This is what you'll find in the New Testament. The mark of a true follower is they continue to follow until the end. And this is what you will see. You go to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and over and over. And those who endure till the end will be saved. And can I tell you something? There were many people who followed Jesus for a while. We're going to see them. There are many people that followed Jesus for a while. And then his teaching got too controversial. John 6, they all left him. One of his men followed him to the very end. His name was Judas. And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's pretty good, Judas, because you gave your life to me three years ago, and so this was a bad decision, but I'll see you in heaven. Are you with me here? The mark of a true believer is they continue to believe and follow. Now, do we ever get off track? Of course we do, but a true believer comes back. Peter came back. Jesus restored him. Man, can you catch this? There is nothing automatic about our faith. These men made decision after decision after decision, and because they kept making the right decisions, we're reading their story today. Do you think we'd be reading their story today if a year and a half in? And when Jesus started saying, hey, take up your cross and follow me, they said, that's not what we signed up for? No, we wouldn't be reading their story. So here's my question for you. The question for you, and and this may be something you need to think about, but the question for you is, what's your next step? In this journey that you're on with Jesus, what's your next step? And let me say this, I don't think that every day has a next step. I mean, every day has steps of obedience, don't get me wrong, but, but, but like, not every day do you have to decide to go south to see John the Baptist, and not every day you have to decide, do we become a disciple of John the Baptist, and not every day you have to decide, do I follow Jesus, and not every day do you, do you have to drop your nets. And so, for some of you, you may have a step right now, and you know what it is, he's calling you, but for others of us here, we may not today. Your step may come two weeks from now or two years from now, or, but it's important we understand this. What's your next step? And so here's what I would guess, like here at Rocky Peak right now, some of you here, that you're here seeking God. You're much like, uh, like Andrew and John, the two disciples, that you just sense God's up to something and you've traveled south. For you, it's not been going to the Jordan, it's been coming to Rocky Peak. I don't know why, you know, maybe, maybe a friend of yours goes here. Maybe you saw the cross on the hill, or maybe you were mountain biking in the area, and just something drew you. But you're here, and you don't even know if you believe in Jesus yet. You're just kind of seek like they were, seeking God. And so you're in the right spot. You're seeking, and you're exactly where you need to be. But, you know, at some point, God's going to open your eyes, and just like John the Baptist said, that's the guy, God's going to open your eyes and say, 
Jesus is the way. You may come in here thinking that like, well, all paths lead and I'm just seeking God in a generic way. But there will come a day when God's going to open your eyes if you're a true seeker and say, there's the Lamb of God. And you're going to have to decide whether to go after him and say, where are you staying? You know, next weekend, we're going to be doing baptisms. And we're going to have lots of people here that are taking that step of saying, I do believe. And that's your step. I'm following. Some of you here, you need to take that step. That's your next step. The God's talking to you. He's saying, that is my son, and you need to follow him, and you need to be baptized. And some of you here, and you're, you're afraid. You're afraid to get up in front of people. You're afraid to get your hair wet in front of everybody. Um, and I get that, because you see some of these people. It's looking crazy. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in all seriousness, it's scary getting up in front of you. I do it every week. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it is scary. And I, I get that. But some, some of you, John the Baptist is saying, there's the Lamb of God. You need to follow. You need to be baptized. And that's your next step. And you're not going to move forward without taking that next step. Because Jesus is calling. And that's your next step. You know, some of us here that you would self-identify as a Christ follower, but the reality is you're not really following Jesus. And you know it. There was an issue in your life five years ago, two years ago, two months ago right now, whatever it is, and it may have been in your sexuality. It might be in your money. It might be in your bitterness. It might be you're longing for popularity. You're afraid of suffering or persecution. It could just be distractions of life. Jesus talked about that. But you're not following. And so what you're doing is you're banking on a decision you made a long time ago to carry you through. And I'm not here to tell you whether you're in or out. That's not my agenda. I'm just saying that would be a very nervous place for me to be. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. And for you, the next step is to say, you know what, I, I need to get on my knees and I need to go back to that day where Jesus said follow and I didn't and, and I need to surrender that area of my life. It's like, like you took a right turn when the path was going straight ahead and you are in a far and distant land and your relationship with God is not growing, it is not thriving and you're wondering why life has become so boring. It's because you're a long way from the Lamb of God. And you come back. For others of us here, that the next step is that Jesus is going to ask us to take a step of new level of surrender. You know, the, the, for the guys there on the beach that day, this is a big deal. He comes along, and, and let's say it was an honor, but it's still a big deal. You're going to follow Jesus, put your life on the line. You're going to Leave your father. You're going to leave your family. Peter's got a wife at least. We don't know if he has kids, very likely. You're going to leave his wife for long periods of time. Um, James and John are going to leave their dad with the business. Hey, dad, hope that works out. Um, this is a big deal. It required a new level of surrender. And... You know, in our lives, some of you hear that Jesus is going to ask you to a new level of surrender. It may involve your career. You know, one of the biggest gods of our culture, the biggest idols, are our careers. I was having dinner with a young man recently in his 20s, and uh, he's a sharp young guy, and he's following Jesus. But we talked about this, and he, he talked about this thing he had to go through in his relationship with Jesus, where... He's a young professional with a bright career. He's doing very well. And he had to come in place of, am I willing to do whatever you want me to do? Stay in this career, go out of this career. Remember, Jesus, you can't love God and money. You, they can't, you can't, like, balance these things. We can't, like, I love Jesus and I love my career and I love them both. No, no, no. You, 
we have to, I told him, this is one of the most critical decisions we have to go through for career people is, will I surrender my career? And can I tell you something? You will not grow and become the person you're called to be until you do. If your career matters more to you than what Jesus thinks, you'll never become the person you're created to be. And so maybe there's the next step for you is it's an act of surrender, or maybe Jesus is calling you to go on mission with him too. And I'm not talking necessarily about going to ministry. I'm talking about just coming to a place where I live for you and everything else is secondary, and I will join you to advance your kingdom, and I will join your team, and I will use everything, my life, my gifts, my resources. I will follow you. And Jesus is calling you out to use your gifts and your resources to advance his kingdom. What is your next step? Now, second, second principle. I love this is that Jesus has a vision for your life. Notice how personal. I'm not saying our life. I'm saying your life. He's got a vision for your life. And we see this in the lives of these four men today. We see it first with Peter. And I love this. You know, I can just imagine Andrew coming to Peter and saying, we found him. You know, the guy that John's been saying, you know, we found him. And if I'm Peter, I'm probably really excited about that. I mean, John said so. I'm probably a disciple of John said so. I'm excited. Andrew, my brother that I've grown up with, he spent hours with this guy. He thinks so. And so I'm probably coming excited, but I'm probably, maybe it's just me, but a little skeptical. Like, we'll see, Right? And I want you to imagine how emotional this would be as you walk up and you're ready to stick out your hand or do whatever they do in those days. And, hi, I'm, uh, my name is uh, Simon. You know, I'm his, Andrew's brother and heard a lot about you. And before you can even say a word, Jesus looks you at the eye and says, I know who you are. I know what you go by. I know who your daddy is. Your name's Simon. That's what you go by. I know your dad. His name is John. But can I tell you, in the future, you're going to go by a different name. We're going to call you The Rock. You're a man I can build on. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, like half of you is probably going, well, who are you? And half of you are going, like, that is really cool. And since it was Jesus, maybe it was just really cool. I don't know. Um, but Jesus had a vision for his life. Catch this. Jesus knew his true name. I know what they call you, but I know your real name. I know your destiny. I know your purpose. We see it again in chapter 4 of Matthew when Jesus, you know, is going by the shore and he sees now Peter and Andrew there. And he, he says to them, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He has a vision for their life. Hey, guys, you can either stay in the boat and keep fishing for tilapia. <laughs> or you can come with me and change the world. We're going to fish for men. Powerful, isn't it? Challenge. He's got a vision for their life. Here's what I want you to catch. When Jesus calls someone to follow him, it's not to a vague future. It's to a specific future. You know, it's interesting, and later on in the New Testament, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul starts it off in chapter 1. It's an amazing letter. He says, Hey, when you came to Jesus, just know that this wasn't by accident, that God's plan this before time began. He knew you before time began. He chose you. It's why you came. He's been working in your life. And when he gets to chapter 2, he says, and not just that, but he's a plan for your life. And chapter 2, this is what he says, a famous verse. He says, uh, 210 note sheet, for we are God's workmanship. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word poema. It's where we get our word poem from. It's like your project. We're God's project. We were created in Christ Jesus, and he created us. When we were born again, we're created. We're created to do what? Good works. Good works. Not, you know, not like walk the old lady across the street. I'm not, 
you know, nothing wrong with that, you know, that's great, but, you know, we need to kind of wipe that language out. What he's saying is that he's got a plan for your life to make a difference. And look what he says. He says, which God prepared when? In advance for us to do. I want you to get, when God calls a person to follow him, when he calls a woman to follow him, he doesn't say to her, will you follow me? And she says, yes. And he says, okay, well, let me think of what you could do. <laughs> Are you with me? He's not like, hey, will you follow me? Yes. Really? <laughs> Never saw that one, Kevin. Okay, let me go back. I'll get some ideas. Come back. Can you come back next Tuesday? It's like when God calls a person, God doesn't do anything in the seat of his pants. Like, think of this creation. He speaks, he creates, and it's good. And when he calls a person to follow him, it's not to a vague future, it's to a specific future. So I've got a question for you. It's a question I ask now every time I take a group to Israel. The question is, what's your true name? You know, we go to Israel. One of the places I love to go, well, pick, pick one. But one of my favorite places to go is the town of Capernaum, where Jesus made his headquarters. And when you go there, uh, we go to the synagogue where he taught. Um, we look at the ruins of the house they believe very likely is Peter's house. Good reason to believe. We walk down by the shore where he called them. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful and it's gorgeous. And just a couple miles away, there's a place called Tabga. It's on the shore as well. And it's to the uh, east. And Tabga is a traditional place where Jesus met Peter after his resurrection and restored him to ministry. Do you love me? Three times. And we sit there in this beautiful tree in this small amphitheater there, and we talk about Peter, and we talk about John chapter 1, the passage we read today, and we talk about this first encounter Jesus had with Peter, and he said, I know what you're called, but that's not your real name. I know your true name. And we talk about Peter, and I wish we had time to do this here, but we don't. We talk about Peter, and we talk about all the ups and downs. And if you know Peter, he has some amazing highs and amazing lows. There's so many times he looks like anything but a rock. But the time Jesus is through with him, after Jesus leaves and returns to his father, it's Peter who preaches on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 come to Christ. And it's Peter who becomes the leader of the movement of Jesus at Jerusalem. Jesus had seen it all along. Jesus knew what Peter was created to do, and the very first time he met him, he said, I know your true name. So the question is, what is your true name? What were you created to do and to be? And here's what I know. I, I don't know what your true name, at least not for most of you, I don't know what your true name is, but here's what I do know. The only way you discover your true name is by making the right decision at critical crossroads. That every time we make the right decision, the next critical true, uh, crossroad, we get a clear understanding of what our name is and what we're created for. And this quick sidebar here, a big part of all of our name is to fish for men, Right? Um, it's so interesting. I mentioned to this earlier, but it's so fascinating. When you think of the 12 disciples of Jesus, out of the hundreds and thousands of disciples, these were the 12 he chose. It's fascinating that most of them grew up in a very same neighborhood. They grew up in the same area, some of them in the same family. These webs of relationship, and you see it. You know, Andrew meets Jesus and he says, I got to tell my brother, he gets Peter. Philip meets Jesus. He says, I got to get my friend Nathaniel. 
And it's pretty amazing to think that of the 12 that were chosen before the foundation of time to be the leaders of the movement, they grew up in the same neighborhoods, often in the same house. Four of them were business partners in fishing before Jesus came along. Isn't that crazy? And the thing is, when God chooses you, your family is not an accident. Your friends are not an accident. Your, your, the webs of relationship that you're in are not an accident. And the reason that's so important is because a big part of our calling, our true name, a, a big part of that is that he wants us to let those others around us in appropriate ways at the right time into the story of what we found about Jesus and invite them to come and see. Many of you know, at Rocky Peak, we often talk about one lives. What's a one life? A one life is someone that you're already in relationship with or will come into relationship with, but you're already in relationship with that God begins to put on your heart to pray for, to build a relationship with. So at appropriate times, when they ask questions about you or your faith or your church or whatever, in appropriate ways, you can share a little bit of your story of what you found in Jesus and invite them here to come and see. So what is your true name? I don't know. But here's what I know. If you want to know your true name, if you want to know personally why you were born if you want to know why God thought you up before time, if you want to know why God chose you before time, if you want to know what your assignment is, there's only one way to discover it, and that is to listen and follow each step of the way at every critical crossroad. And if you do, you will discover with each decision a little bit more of who you are, who he is, what your true name is, and the good works that you were created to do before the foundation of time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible passage of Scripture that we can weave together the story of these four men and in their story see our story. God, thank you that you are a God that is not haphazard. Thank you that you've chose us before time began and chose us with a purpose. And God, all over this auditorium, I'm sure there are many of us here that are hearing you as you walk through this place right now, calling us by name to drop our nets to follow you in whatever our next step is. And Lord, I know that begins, that begins when we realize who you are where you point out to us, there he is, the Lamb of God. And when we follow you that first time is when we come out of our graves, when you call us by name. And so, God, we pray that whether it's the first time we're getting back on track, we've been away, or whether you're calling us to a new step of surrender or service and joining your mission, I pray we will say yes and Jesus, I pray this with all of my heart, and you know it's true. I pray this so that only so you get the honor that you deserve. God, this church belongs to you. We belong to you. We live for your glory. There is no higher calling. God, we must be holy for you are holy. And so, God, we pray you pour out your grace and your faith and your love on us that we would drop our nets and find out our true name for the sake of your name. And as we bring you our gifts, our offering, and worship, we pray you'd call us out now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Mm. <laughs> you called my name. I know you, you are Simon, son of John, but there's going to come a day, we're going to call you Cephas, which means Peter, because you are going to be a rock I can build on. You're not that yet, but by the time I get done with you, 
you're going to be amazing. And there's going to come a day, and so I'm calling you by name. Men and women, what is your true name? What is your name? I don't know, but the one thing I know is Peter would have never found out his true name had he not said yes. He said yes, and he said yes, and he said yes, and he kept on saying yes. And when he said no, he said, I'm sorry, I meant yes. (laughs) And there were some times like that, right? There were some big, oh, whoops, you know. What is your name? Hey, I hope you can be back next week. We're going to celebrate baptisms next week when people said, I know my name. They've been called my name. And uh, if you need to take that step, let us know, because uh, if that's your next step, it's an important one. Also, uh, next week, we'll be wrapping up this first series in Matthew Unfiltered, and we'll be launching the following week a new series. It's inside your program. It's called Unfiltered, Revealing the Character of the Kingdom. And we are going to be talking about the first uh, 10 verses, 13 verses of the most famous speech in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is going to be revealing what this kingdom is all about, what it means to be a part of it, what the kingdom is about, what we're about, if we're going to be a part of that. It's going to be a tremendous time, and it's a great entry point for One Lives. So if you have someone that God's putting on your heart to invite, uh, use this as an invite card, invite them. Uh, Maybe you will be their their Andrew or their Philip that will bring them to Jesus. Amen? Until next week, God bless you. Prayer on the sides if you need it. I'll see you then. Have a great week.